Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Scott. I'm a junior broadcast journalism major at Hampton University, and I hail from Brooklyn, New York. Today I am joined by two of the Roden Fellows, Marissa and Jayla. Ladies, if you will. Hello, everyone. I am Marissa Stubbs, a senior broadcast journalism student from Florida A&M University. Hi, everybody. I'm Jayla Jones, and I am a senior at Prairie View A&M University. We have two very special guests with us today. The first is senior writer at The Undefeated and fellow Brooklynite, Jesse Washington. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And our second guest on today's podcast is former fellow and fellow Hamptonian, Randall Williams, a sports writer for Sportico. Thanks for joining us today, Randall. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be back. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, topics-wise, so let's dive right in. I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to stress the importance of exercising your right to vote. But what feelings are we feeling about this election? There's certainly a clear, a massive amount of energy being pumped into this election. I can say personally that my phone has never seen so many random numbers reminding me to vote. I'm getting bombarded with calls. And I mean, I'm getting the feeling that it must be normal for everyone else around the country to feel the same and maybe a little bit tense about what the outcome could be. But regardless of your political orientation, it's expected that every individual American exercises their equal say. So fellows, what voting storylines are you following at Florida A&M and Prairie View? Listen, I would say at Florida A&M, a football player on our football team actually led a march that title, We Have No Choice. And at that march, he was registering football players to vote. And so they decided to do another march leading to the polls. So I just think that right now, our school and our generation is focusing on making sure that we're going to vote. This is my first time voting. So I know I've been making sure that I voted and just exercising my right to vote. Mm-hmm. So for us at Prairie View, various voting initiatives have been in full swing for the last couple of months. There have been marches, informational sessions, and there's even been voter registration pop-ups around our campus. Everything has just been about voting. And I want to say thank you, especially to our Student Government Association, because, you know, they're truly the backbone of our campus and they've been working so hard to get everyone prepared for the upcoming election. So a big thank you to them. I also want to shine a light on a big case that involves five of our Panthers. In 2018, we struggled with voter accessibility. Usually our early voting schedule is two weeks long, but for some reason it got shortened down to three days, which made getting to the polls harder than usual. And it wasn't really fair considering that the other cities around us, predominantly white cities at that, got the standard schedules and even in some cases got theirs extended when we didn't. So these five students went to court to get more days, but when that was unsuccessful, they partnered with the NAACP and brought about the voter suppression case that we're watching now. So we're keeping a close eye on that. And I actually got to speak to three of the five students, uh, Jayla Allen, Treasure Smith, and Damon Johnson. And I got to get their stories and experiences in a piece. So hopefully you guys get a chance to take a look at that. Excellent. Well, I mean, I'm sure we're all familiar with the absence of fall football, um, especially due to COVID-19. But here at Hampton, our head coach, Robert Prunty, decided that he was going to stress to his players the importance of being registered to vote. So they, they made a lot of noise with that movement, and uh, be sure to look out for that video piece coming soon to The Undefeated. Mr. Washington, have you noticed anything on your side, anything in the past couple months or elections about the youth turnout, anything that's caught your eye? 
What I've noticed with the youth fold is that y'all are excited and charged up, which is unusual and great to see because most of the time, young people vote at the lowest levels of anyone. In the 2016 election, fewer than half of Americans ages 18 to 29 voted. That was 15 percentage points lower than everybody else. So I think that the percentage is gonna be much higher now because the issues are more visceral and more urgent to you guys, and which is a wonderful thing. So I think that we're gonna see that percentage come up to be the highest that it's been in a long time, which is unusual because a lot of voting depends on how the candidates resonate with you. And we got two candidates now with a combined age of what, like 342 years old? Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> but it also feels like blackness itself is on the ballot, that our right to exist and live is on the ballot due to all of these oppressive measures that the government has been, and the police have been visiting on the black community. So I see a tremendous amount of enthusiasm among young people, much more than in the past, probably more so than at any time since Barack Obama first ran in 2008, and it's a great thing to see. How would that compare to how voting was when you were in college and your experiences then? You know, that was a great question because I had to go back, and I was in college in the late 80s and early 90s, and I had to look, and I was like, wow. And I just realized, maybe for the first time in my life, in 1988, the first time I was eligible to vote, I did it. I didn't vote in 88. And that was the year when Reagan had just got out of office. He had finished his two terms. And his vice president, George Bush the first, beat Dukakis. Mm-hmm. And he also beat Dukakis with one of the most racist ads in presidential campaign history, the Willie Horton ad. But I was I was sort of oblivious to all that. I was a sophomore in college and you Which know, college where are you at? I went to Yale University. And so I, I have no excuse. Mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed to admit it. So y'all got a, this admission out of me through your questioning. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, other than that, we were politically active. We were big on apartheid back then. And I was active in, in the efforts to get the South African government, the American companies to stop doing business with a racist regime mm-hmm. over there. Similar to the way now that we in the United States boycott companies that participate in racist programming or practices. So I think that we were probably less engaged than you guys are. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was in a privileged position, so I was, wasn't really feeling it. Now, I did go from the projects to the university, so maybe I just forgot where I came from for a brief moment and didn't really feel like something was at stake. I did vote in 92. That mm-hmm. was when Clinton was elected. That's a good, 92 is a good year, especially <laughs> March. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to cut in and say, I think, following up after what Jesse said, I think one of the things that is playing a big part is definitely social media. We've never seen two presidents just... I mean, it just feels like watching two children on Twitter all the time and personal attacks and, you know, private attacks. Like these personal attacks are things that you wouldn't say to your best friend if you guys were just sitting next to each other, just going at it at the lunch table. And they're just all out there. So I think that plays a big part when you're able to see, you know, two of the highest ranking people in the United States and they feel like they're right in front of you because it's right on Twitter. Thank you for that. With our next topic, I'd like to switch gears a little bit. We're often told how lucky we are to experience sports history with players such as LeBron James and Serena Williams dominating their respective sports. But are we taking advantage of our blessings? How does it feel to witness the players that we grew up with getting older and potentially facing retirement in the upcoming years? Mr. Washington, I'd like to hear from you first. Who were the pillars of each sport as you were growing up and 
how did you feel watching them grow older? I'm going to start now. Let's not take Serena for granted. I think that there's a big risk of that. I mean, she is one of the greatest athletes of all time, period, point blank. She has said on the undefeated airwaves, and I agree, if she was a man, we would be talking about her as all-time GOAT status. So anytime she's playing, tune in. Watch some clips. Go back and, you know, see some tweets. I don't care what it is. Watch this woman. You're seeing greatness. I, for me, it was baseball was bigger. You know, I'm of an older generation. So growing up in the 70s and 80s, baseball was still big. We still care. And then for basketball, really the first person I recall seeing get old in real time was MJ. But he was still dropping 20 at age 40. So, uh, and he would bust out with 50 in the garden in a minute. So, you know, he was sort of like, there's a parallel with LeBron and that LeBron's getting old, but you haven't really noticed yet. So we never really took MJ for granted, I guess, because he was just so superhuman. Um, but today I think there is a risk of doing that with some of the athletes. There's so much content out there. Sometimes we have to take a minute just to sit and think about what it is we're really witnessing. And I think that that's definitely the case with Serena. I don't know, Randall, what about you? What do you think? I would definitely say Serena, LeBron. I think the biggest for me was Kobe before, you know, he passed earlier this year. I've been following Kobe since I was young, when he lost to the Celtics, when he beat the Celtics, when he beat the Magic and all that stuff. That was really inspiring to me. I'd say Kobe, LeBron. We just watched Wade retire. It's kind of crazy, but I think, I think at the same time, you know, we're also watching college athletes. They just are becoming their own superstars in their own right, with, especially with the opportunity for people to get paid in the, in the next couple of years. It's, it's weird. It's weird. It's kind of like, you know, we have LeBron. There's only one LeBron. There's only one Serena Williams. It almost feels like we're looking for the next one right away. Who's going to fill in these gaps? But you can't fill in the gap to, for Serena. You can't fill in the gap for LeBron. These two people are, are once in a lifetime and once in a generation. I definitely agree with everything that's been said so far, especially with the thought of looking at who's next and who's always coming up. I think we're always searching for who's next. And in that, sometimes we forget that what we're experiencing right now is huge. You know, I grew up with LeBron. I grew up with D. Wade. I grew up with Sue Bird and Becky Hammond. You know, but to think about players, you know, such as LeBron and how, you know, they're eventually going to be turning that corner. It's, it's hard to think about because it's like, who are we going to watch now? You know, it's like, who else is going to fill that spot and be that staple player that we're all going to, you know, be looking at for the next, you know, in LeBron's case, like 17 years. So it's always something difficult, but it's something that I think you have to come to terms with, even, you know, as hard as that may be. Yeah, I agree with Jayla. I think it's like a bittersweet moment just watching the stars because I feel like we're still growing up. You know, we're still watching these stars play in their prime. So I definitely think that watching players like LeBron and that we mentioned Serena, it's like they're in their prime, but eventually, you know, in a few years, you know, their career will most likely be coming to an end. So I think it's just, it's that bittersweet moment of knowing that we got to experience and watch them while they're in their prime and just reflect on that. So yeah. I wanted to know one one more thing. We didn't mention a lot of NFL players, and I think it's also because of the you know we had the year of the black quarterback last year, and we've never seen so many starting black quarterbacks before. So it feels like a new age. 
if you're watching Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, all these guys perform at such a high level, it only brings up more excitement. And they're all our age. That's the crazy part. Like, I just saw Patrick Mahomes is 25 today, and I'm 22. It feels like, you know, he would have been a senior in high school when I was a freshman. So that doesn't feel that far off. So watching these guys and getting, you know, see these, these people who look like us grow and perform, that's going to be just as exciting as it is to watch LeBron. That's an excellent point, Randall. For me, as a diehard soccer fan, I just feel blessed to be alive during the era of Messi and Ronaldo. As a fan in the United States, seeing them play in person, that's not very likely. So that's like a legitimate life goal for me that I'd like to attain someday. But seeing the most technically gifted player of all time in Leo Messi and arguably one of the hardest working players of all time in Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, come on, it's... It's a dream to witness the magic in person. But, I mean, matter-of-factly, they're both over the hump in their playing careers. And, honestly, that's even more reason to appreciate every match that they have left in the tank. And if you'd like to talk about the pain of a player moving on and leaving your team, you could ask any other Chelsea football fan in the world what it felt like when Eden Hazard left the club and moved on to Real Madrid. Pain. Major, physically crippling pain. I mean, he moved to Real Madrid, obviously, as his dream move. I mean, no one's going to turn down the chance to play for them and be a Galactico. So it's hard to fault him for that. But I mean, after giving Chelsea what now seems like the best years of his career and seeing him struggle with injuries and still trying to find his form with the team, I got to be honest, it hurts to see. And I mean, I don't care what anyone says. Anyone would hate hearing their favorite player being criticized openly. But Bill would get on me for this. No cheering in the press box, I know. But uh, (laughs) I just had to get that off my chest. So moving on with our next topic. We've seen the sudden influx of Black sitcom favorites recirculating by coming in Netflix and other platforms. What are some of your favorite Black TV shows that you all like to watch? What are some other programs that you miss watching that are not currently on any platforms that are around yet? Right. So I know Netflix just recently added all these shows on one-on-one, Girlfriends. So those are a lot of shows that I used to watch growing up and just watching it now like as a as a young adult it definitely I I realized I didn't understand anything that was going on when I was a kid so I was just watching I was like wow I was really watching this show as a kid but yeah those shows are definitely shows that I paid attention to growing up I know some shows that I've been looking at so I've been trying to and this probably isn't a smart idea but I've been trying to watch all the shows at once just because I'm like so impatient some of the shows I've seen so far, I've almost finished Girlfriends. I know I've watched The Parkers. I began Sister, Sister, but I kind of like trailed off a bit. Sister, Sister is the biggest show that I was looking forward to because, you know, growing up, I was big Disney Channel. Like, I know everybody's like, oh, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. I was a Disney Channel kid. And, you know, Sister, Sister was one of the biggest shows. But I also want to point out that a lot of Aside from Netflix, a lot of our shows are also on Disney Plus, and I think Disney Plus is like the best thing ever, because another show that I really liked was The Proud Family. So watching that also with the influx of Black sitcoms on uh, Netflix, it's just, it's this big mix of childhood all in one, and it's just been a great experience. Mr. Washington, how, how about yourself? Well, first of all, shout to Disney, big bro Disney, corporate parent. Yeah, we repping. Thank you. Um, y- you know, it's y- y'all are blessed to have so much black TV to watch because when I was growing up, it was few and far between. It was very unusual. You know, you had some good times, you had some Jeffersons. But other than that, it was hard to see 
black people on TV and the movies. So now we have this plethora, which is wonderful. You know, I did like Living Single. I wouldn't mind catching up on that show. But, and I might, you know, I might have to whisper this, but the show that was really sort of in my formative years when I was in college and we all used to gather around all the black students in college and come to the, to the Black Cultural Center to watch it. I can't even say the name, but you know, he's locked up. And it's just, it's really sad for me. And that is the one that I wish I could watch because the show was really good. The, the messages were aspirational. This was the flip side of Good Times. Good Times was in the projects. I knew that and I appreciated that because that was my life. But this was a black professional family and who had, you know, who, who had other types of issues in their lives that I didn't know existed for black people. I never knew what bougie was, so I went to college because you know they was like, what is that? Black people with money? Who they? So I missed that show because I can't watch it now because of the crimes that this individual, you know, he sexually assaulted a number of women and that will forever taint the several shows. He had two related shows, The Cosby Show and A Different World, which were really good and high quality and introduced us to a lot of great actors. So I missed that and I'm sad that it came to that. I understand now. I mean, I do understand why it has to be that way, but that's the one that I really miss. And for me, I think Black shows, I think my favorite one was probably Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, along with the one that Mr. Washington mentioned. Just the, the comedy and then the, the relation between college and, and, and reality today and seeing the difference between the time periods is just always really, really funny to see and really fun to watch. But to be honest with you all, I've watched so many different shows this year from The Outsider to The Boys to some anime shows to Star Wars. The Mandalorian season one just came on today. So, you know, I'm halfway through the episodes right now. I've watched so many different shows this year. And I'll say Watchmen got all of the, the Academy Awards that it deserved because that was incredible last year. And I'm really looking forward to what else is coming in the future. I know Disney Plus has, has a lot to come. There's, there's going to be HBO Max is going to have a lot. So I'm really looking forward to what is coming in the fall and in years to come. If I could just jump in real quick. I wanted to like the Watchmen so bad. I really wanted oh my. to. I, I couldn't. No. I, I, I tried, man. No. I tried, but no. like, I, I, I couldn't get it. No, I no, get no, it. no, what, no. What's wrong with me? Oh, <laughs> Jesse, you're, you're killing me. You're killing me. You see, but here, here's, the thing. Saving, here's, please. The, here's the thing. So with Watchmen, everybody who ever watched the Watchmen has the exact same thing, probably about four to five episodes in, which is like, what the hell am I watching? Because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't. No sense. It, it, it makes no sense. But when it clicks, it clicks. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it to you. But if you watch and pay attention, did you watch Lovecraft Country? No, because I I was oh my traumatized goodness. from I was traumatized from Watchmen. <laughs> that, that Let me tell you, you got to address that. That is that is one that I, I failed to mention. Lovecraft Country was another one where it has a super complex story where I felt like I don't know what I'm watching until the very end. And for me, for me, when I guess the the more mature show, the the first mature show that I grew up watching was Game of Thrones, and and Game of Thrones was something that you know even though every season tied together, there were at some points where we were just like, okay, where is this going? And it ties up at every end of the season, or even The Wire. That's one of the shows that I watched earlier this year. And for me, for me, it's just like, I got to stick with it, especially when, there, when there's people that look like us that are on the air. That's, that's one of the reasons that I try to tune in, even when, even when Watchmen and Lovecraft Country, especially Lovecraft Country, because Lovecraft Country was all over the place. 
And Watchmen was something that I could really, I could feel a little bit more, more than Lovecraft Country because Lovecraft Country deals with more magic. And magic is like, ah, you know, I don't see magic in real life. So I, I don't, I don't know, Jesse, but you're gonna have to, you're gonna, I, I don't know what's up with you, man. But I don't gotta know. Fix that. <laughs> For me, I, Randall, you mentioned how like when you're watching Lovecraft Country, you don't know like what's going on until the end. Like even it, when it comes to the end, I'm still lost. I don't know. I think Lovecraft Country, that show is just confusing. I don't know. I just, I can't get into it. It, it is very, very complex. Very, very complex. I think some of the, the hints and clues you just have to go back and, and rewatch. But a lot of times, like, we move so fast in today's world where it's like, when you're, you're done with something, you're done. And I think that's part of the, the nice thing about the streaming and the bad thing about the streaming. Like, on Netflix, when something releases on Netflix, you can finish it in a day. On Amazon Prime, where they have the boys where they release three episodes and they release five over the next five weeks. I think that works a little better because it gives you a chance to live with the show and anticipate the next episode. But Lovecraft, love, going back to Lovecraft, it was something that me and my parents were just like, yo, like, why are you on a different world? What is this spell? That, who's casting who? Why is this person peeling their skin back? Like, it was all over the place. But I'm, I'm happy with the end result. Got a lot of great takes on that. I'll certainly say this quarantine has given us the opportunity to catch up on some much-loved shows and reminisce about our childhood for all of us. But while on the topic of quarantine, Randall, you had to finish your last semester of your senior year virtually. You managed to roll with the punches and land with Sportico. I'd love to hear about that because the last year in college is such a crucial moment in every student's life. Job applications, interviews, internships, preparations for moving to a new city or job. What was that like for you? It was pretty crazy. Going back to my, my experience at the Roden Fellowship, I'm really sad for you all because the combine and when we went to New York was such so much fun, especially the combine. I had a ball there. And in the middle of the combine, I would turn on the news and there was all of this about, you know, COVID-19 and how it was creeping its way into the United States. Every day there was a new case. And I just felt like you're seeing colleges shut down and knowing how, how my school works, I knew as soon as we got back on campus, there was only a matter of time. There was no way we were going to finish. So, you know, me being me, I, I felt like I had set myself up for future endeavors after my fellowship with ESPN because of my previous internship with Bloomberg. And in the middle of me finishing up my, my class schedule, because I only had 12 credit hours, the rest of my time was devoted to the Roden Fellowship. So in the middle of me finishing up my class hours, the senior sports writer at Bloomberg, his name was Scott Soschnick, who's my current editor-in-chief now, he left Bloomberg and started his own media firm called Sportico, where we cover sports business. And him, him leaving Bloomberg, I was like, oh, you know, let me, let me check out Sportico. So I got on the phone with Scott and I had an interview. And then I was also thinking about going back to Bloomberg because they, they treated me so well. That was a lot of fun in my internship there as well. So I chose Sportico because it was the closest thing to sports and, and sports business. And I trust Scott, I trust my team, and my team has been really, really helpful, really, really supportive. And that was, that was it, but everything that, that accumulated to that was all in connections and network. I never, I never really lost connection with Scott or anybody that I met at Bloomberg because I knew that eventually I may wanna go back there, I may wanna you know, keep in contact with these people because you know, people are all we know nowadays. And I knew, I knew that Scott has been in sports business for 30 years, longer than I've been alive. And anybody who can teach me anything out of college, it's going to be him. 
So that was that was it. And and my advice to graduates and and people in college right now is to be like, you know, it sucks that you're not on campus. Trust me, I I know better than anybody outside of like high school seniors who are you know graduating out of their home and then walking into their home again for their freshman year. It sucks to be home, but also, you know, there's, I think, I feel like the playing field is being leveled. You know, some of these PWIs get a lot more opportunities than HBCUs. And when you have these virtual career fairs, you're going to be sitting in front of these people the same way that everybody else is going to be. So show yourself the best way you know how, speak the way that, you know, you're, you're being taught to and just be great because the opportunity is there. Some excellent nuggets of information there. For our final topic, we're going to focus on us at school. Fellows, are your HBCUs, have they made the decision to go back in the spring or not? And do you think that's a good idea to have students back on campus with COVID-19 cases rising? France and parts of Europe are on the verge of having a lockdown again, and many experts are saying that we should expect a second wave of the coronavirus. How does that guys make you feel? And should we be virtual until the fall of 2021? So me as the lone fellow who actually enjoys being away from campus and having classes at home, I hope next semester we're still at the house. However, Prairie View, we haven't gotten like official word as to what we're doing next semester. So right now everything's up in air, but I think everybody knows my stance. Like if you can, please leave me at home. Yeah, and FAMU, we are actually uh, resuming in-person classes in the spring semester. So the classes will be held up to 30 students. And also, they released our football schedule for the spring 2021. So I definitely think, I don't, I don't want to say it's a good idea, but I knew it was going to happen, I would say. I knew like they were eventually going to resume in-person classes. And I feel like it's only a matter of time before other universities start to do the same. Yeah, at Hampton, uh, President Harvey notified us that the decision was made to remain in a virtual setting. I mean, I know it's obviously not ideal, but with literally the cases, you can see it, the cases are coming back. It's literally for the preservation of life. For one, I can say that I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully going back next year, but there are no guarantees in that happening. But then, Do not get your hopes up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do not get your hopes up. I mean, it's it's really sad that, that we're having to go through this and that you guys are not able to be on campus and especially experience the different things that the Roden Fellowship can bring you because I mean, those experienceships and the people that you meet are so valuable and it's, and it's a lot of fun. But I am not too hopeful on students returning back to HBCU campuses, especially because of student safety. Mm -hmm. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have time for today. I would like to thank both of our esteemed guests for joining us. And thank you for listening to this podcast wherever you're tuning in. Thanks again for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show was produced by Jayla Jones and co-hosted by Marissa Stubbs. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and the ESPN digital audio content team. A million thanks again to our special guests for joining us today. I'm Jonathan Scott, and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next time for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. And this is your reminder to go vote.